me. What an exciting day. We have so much going on, um, so exciting, and uh, I'm just excited to, to be a part of that. I'll tell you, I've been here at Fourth Avenue for several years, and that is the first time I recall seeing and hearing Wayne Howell on this stage, and man, I need more of that. That was awesome. <laughs> so I thought that could have been the lesson this morning. Yeah, that, I mean, we, we could go, I think, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to um, shave this thing down a little bit for you. We're, we're, we're running close on time. It's also, if, I, I love it. As advanced as we get in this world, we're still in a church building where people are fanning themselves. Uh, so man, it's just a, that's a throwback to when I was 10 years old right there. I love it. So keep those fans going. Um, we are, we're going to be in the, in the um, I, I'm going to say first Philippians at some point today. It's Philippians chapter one is where we're going to be, but I'm going to go ahead and just get that out. First Philippians is going to come out. There's only one book of Philippians, but if you want to be turning to Philippians chapter 1, that's where we'll be in just a minute. And I love, in, we're going to see in this chapter as we go through it where Paul talks about his, his death, and he says, it would be best for me to stay and continue to preach Jesus, but man, it would be better by far for me to go be with Jesus. And as I was looking over that scripture this week, I couldn't help but think about Jimmy Gentry. And man, he, he has gone to be with Jesus, and death is never an easy thing. Yes. Six years old, 46 years old, 96 years old, death is, is never an easy thing for us on this earth to, to, to experience and go through and process and deal with. But um, we're going we're gonna to look a little bit about Paul's, per, Paul's perspective on that this morning, and hopefully it helps us. A little bit, but I want us to, uh, to look at Paul's life. And before we can start to read this letter, I want us to back up just a little bit. Uh, we got to have a little perspective here. Sometimes I'm the kind of guy, I like to, if I'm doing something, I like to just go for it. I like to move forward. I like to do it. And you, you know, lots of times you get into about step two or three and you go, man, I should have planned this out a little bit better. If I if I'd thought about what I was going to do, this could have been a little easier. It would have made more sense. And Philippians is going to make more sense if we back up for just a minute and think about what's going on here. So, uh, let me get a drink of water, and then we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 together. Uh, and I did want to mention, I've always um, sort of been leery of, um, of male preachers in open-toed shoes. And so, <laughs> you know, didn't think I would become one, but here we are. So, so bear with me this morning. And, uh, and Brad, I hear Brad somewhere. Brad, I am still Bible study man. I see you up there. I'm still Bible study man. No new nicknames today, okay? So, uh, but Acts chapter 16 is where we first see Paul in the, in the city of Philippi, okay? And so Paul is on a missionary journey. He's trying to go spread the gospel in Asia. He wants to go share the gospel in Asia, and, and we're not going to read Acts 16. You can, you can look at that later on, or you can flip there now and follow along kind of as I talk about it. But in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul wants to go to Asia to share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit won't let him go there which is a really cool detail for us to just kind of think about at some point. So he can't go to Asia, and so he's going around with Silas. Paul and Silas are traveling around, and they end up in Philippi, which is a Roman city. It's, a, it's in a Roman colony of Macedonia. It's a big town. It, you know, I think of some of these towns we hear about in the Bible. We hear Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth, and I think about little bitty towns. But this would have been a, this would have been a city. It's a big place. And so Paul shows up there with Silas, and he's sharing the gospel. He goes down next to this river, sort of a place of prayer there, and he meets a woman named Lydia who is a follower of God. It says she's a worshiper of God, but she was converted by Paul. 
and she was a dealer in, in purple. And so she was a, a, a successful woman, and she becomes a follower, and, and her whole family is converted. And so other people have been converted, and so this church is formed in Philippi, and Paul sort of plants this church there in Philippi. And then Paul continues the day after day to go down by this river to this place of prayer and meet with the believers, and, and he's teaching them there about God, about Jesus Christ, about the gospel. He's teaching them all these things. And there's this, this demon-possessed girl that keeps following him down to the river. And this girl, she's, she's a slave girl. She's owned. Her owners are using her because she can predict the future. And they're making money off of her predicting the future. And so one day she's following Paul and Silas down to the river, down to this place of prayer. And she's warning everybody. She's saying, these men will teach you the way of the Lord. These men can teach you how to be saved. She, every day she's yelling this out. And Paul finally turns around. He's had enough. He turns around. And he drives the demon out. He just drives that demon out. It's gone. She's no longer demon-possessed, which we would go, that's awesome. That's great. That's incredible. Her owners didn't share that same feeling that we might feel. In fact, they were so enraged by this. There goes their income. There goes their, their way to provide for themselves. So they drag Paul and Silas to the Jews. They say, these men are causing an uproar. These men are teaching in way, ways that are not in accordance with what we believe here. So Paul and Silas are immediately thrown into prison. And they're thrown into prison, and they do exactly what I would do if I were in prison. No, not at all. Now, there are, they do, I, I look around this room, and I go, oh, we got some people who would do this. Well, I know, I know who you are, by the way. We got some people who, but Paul and Silas are in prison, and in the middle of the night, they are sitting there in their cells, shackled at their feet, and they are singing hymns and praying. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Who? But yeah, we got people here who, that's what they do. In prison, they are singing hymns and praying. I think, what a testimony to those other inmates. <laughs> what a testimony. And the testimony gets better because as they sing and as they pray, the, the prison doors just bust open. I mean, the doors bust open. I've, I've got a picture of a jail cell and this big iron door. I don't know what they would have looked like, but, but they just bust open. The shackles fall off their feet. Hey, we're out. We're free, right? We can go. And so the, the jailer, being responsible for all these inmates, he's, he's ready to kill himself. He knows that he will be charged with letting all these men get out. And so he's ready to kill himself. And Paul yells, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. We're not, you know, they're, they're not running. They're staying there. So the jailer has the lights turned on. I don't know what kind of lights they had, but they had the lights turned on. And they're all there. And the jailer comes in trembling. And he falls down at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he says, Tell me what I have to do to be saved. And so they convert him and his family. And I can, I, I, this is just my, my guess, but his, the jailer and his family converted. I'm going to guess some of those inmates were converted along with him. So now you've got this church in Philippi that's Lydia and her family, the jailer and her family. I mean, what a cool church. What, a, what an amazing group of people that are now worshiping God in Philippi because Paul went there and Paul left the city soon after that. But, but we get to Philippians chapter 1 and it's, not, it's no surprise that Paul has landed in prison again. And what does he do when he lands in prison later in life? He thinks back to those days in Philippi. He says, you know what? I'm going to write my friends a letter. And so I want you to think about this, this book, not as a letter from somebody to a church, but I want you to think about it as, as someone who loves these people dearly, imploring them, encouraging them in their faith. These aren't just people he met on a missionary journey. These are people that saw him they were converted by him. They saw him drive out a demon. They saw him, they saw prison doors bust open. Not because, and again, if I were in jail, my letter 
to Fourth Avenue would say, hey, where are my attorney buddies? I know they're in here. I've got, what, come get me out. You know, it would say, hey, who do y'all know? Who can we call? Who can you make some phone calls to get me out? It might say, hey, I know some men that are getting ready to grill and cook. and Y'all, you guys come bust me out of this place. That would be my letter, right? Like, let, yeah. And that's not what Paul's posture is at all. Paul's posture is just saying, God, may, it, may what happen, may, may what needs to happen, may what's best for you, Lord, happen. So let's start in verse 3 and look at Paul's words here. He says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Remember, he's in a prison cell here. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love this picture he paints here of this partnership that began on the first day, has continued till now, which is present, and he says, will be carried on to completion, which is in the future. So we have a partnership, right, that we're involved in. He was talking to the church of Philippi, but we can assume he's talking to us as well as a church. We have a partnership that began, is still going, and will continue. So the question is, what are we doing, right? I mean, it means we've got to be doing something. A partnership isn't one person does all the work and the other person sits around and just watches, Right, some of you have been parts of partnerships like that, haven't you? You go, yeah, that, that, that those aren't good partnerships, right? We're partners in the gospel. We are partners with Paul, with Jesus. We're we're partners with each other in the gospel. I love what Wayne was talking about earlier about getting out in the community, about being a place where people go, hey, they'll do it. That's the place. Those are the partners in the gospel, and so so we are partners with Paul. And like I said, my prayer would probably start out a little different, trying to reach into different connections, trying to think about different ways. How can I get out of this jail? What would be better for me? Man, poor me. I'm locked away, right? And, and that's, that's a mindset that maybe I need to work on a little bit. Um, we, we've got a phrase we use that I was, I was thinking about, and then a, a story, after I had already thought about this phrase, a story kind of popped into my head. But we've got this phrase, back in the saddle, right? You're familiar with that term? And so I, look, I like to look up, what do things really mean? You know, you hear things all your life. And you go, what does that really mean? And so, so one of the definitions of getting back in the saddle is, is starting to do something again once you've taken a break from it for whatever you couldn't do it for a while or, or whatever happened. And so, so you think about, you know, a, a cowboy getting, getting back in the saddle. And there's a lot of different things we do. I, I do remember one time when I was in college, which was too long ago, but when I was in college, I went home with some friends d- during a break to, uh, to Mississippi, and, and we went horseback riding just right outside of Tupelo, Mississippi, and we'd been riding horses all, all day, it seemed like, and it was gorgeous. I mean, the, this farmland was just beautiful. It was a cold winter morning, and it wasn't too cold. It felt, felt good to be riding on a horse. We were riding through up, up these ridges in this beautiful land, and we come out on this hilltop into this large pasture right, this huge pasture, and this pasture was sloped about like this floor is, not super steep, but about like this floor is, but it went on way, if you were standing in the back, it went on way across Fifth Avenue, who knows how far it would have gone that way, and we got out of the woods into this pasture, and there was a little slope, and the horse I was on decided, hey, it's time to go. <laughs> I was not ready to go, so I was able to, to jump off this horse somehow, <laughs> and land kind of on my feet, and, and, and kind of get get myself gathered, and one of my friends was able to grab this horse and bring it back to me and said, what happened? 
said, well, I, I, so I had to get back in the saddle, right? It was, that, that horse saw that hill and saw that open field and thought, man, we are ready. And I was going, no, I'm not quite ready for that. But we were able to, to slowly make our way through that pasture and onto the, through the gate and where we needed to go. But aren't there things we do that we have to kind of develop a routine, get in a habit? Maybe, maybe you, you know, you've got an old tractor or some kind of equipment that, right, you, you know, the steering is a certain way, it's loose, and you know exactly, or the pedal, you have to press it a certain amount, or even to get it started, right? You've got to know just how to get it started. Or maybe you cook, and you know just how much, you know, you know the, the best cooks, what I've learned is that the best cooks sometimes don't have recipes. They just have a feel for it, right? They just know how much to put in, a little of this, a little of that, you work it a certain way, you cook it for, you know, you don't even set the timer on the, and now everything tells you, you know, to set the timer on the oven for this long. The good cooks, they put it in there and they know when it's done, right? They just, they're in the rhythm of it. It's like riding a horse, it's like a jockey coming around turn three and going for that finish line. They just know, they just have a feel for it. And Paul here, in, in his letter to the Philippians, he just has a feel for what it means to serve God. He has a feel for what it means to be humble in Christ. In fact, chapter 2 of Philippians, he talks about that. He says, listen, Jesus was God. He, he came down, he humbled himself, he made himself a servant. He, he didn't have to do any of that. And he says, we should have the same attitude. We should take on the same attitude that Christ took when he came down and walked on this earth and lived as a servant and allowed himself to be beaten. He says, that's the kind of attitude that we should have. You keep reading this letter to these friends of his, these dear friends, and he says, verse maybe you may be familiar with Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? Paul was in the saddle. He had a feel for it. He knew what was going on, and I love his posture. And, and by the way, Paul was a bold man, right? I mean, you think about Paul before he became, before he was blinded by Jesus, he was persecuting Christians. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't meek. He wasn't timid. He was persecuting Christians. He, he could be quick to stand up in prison and say, hey, I'm getting out of here. Try to stop me. He could be quick to call on. He knows when he calls on Jesus. You know, lots of times we, we in 2022, when we call on the Lord, we think, oh, you know, maybe something will happen. Probably not. I don't know. And this is me. This is me, right? But in, the, in the, the New Testament, the early Christians, when they prayed, when they worshiped, when they met together, they expected things to happen. They were not surprised when there were earthquakes. They were not surprised when prison doors fell down. They were not surprised when angels showed up. They were not surprised. They expected it. And so Paul in prison could have said, hey, he's going to take me out again. But that wasn't his, his posture this time. In fact, he writes to the, to the church at Corinth and he says, I'm going to come visit you in chapter 4, in the end of chapter 4 in the verse, uh, in, in Corinthians, he says, I'm going to come visit you. Do you want me to come with a whip? He was talking to some arrogant people in the church. He was trying to, to fix some things that were going on there. He says, do I need to come with a whip when I come to visit you, or should I come in gentleness and love? And so Paul was not afraid to be bold, but in this case, for whatever reason, his posture is one of prayer and joy, and encouragement. And I love that. He, he continues to pray, and I, I think about this chapter. Chapter 1 is just a prayer, is what it really is. We read it as a letter, but think of it as a prayer, and think of it as Paul just talking to these people that he cares so much about. So he says this in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I think it's still impressive. I wanted to underline it here. It says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. This is Paul's prayer. It's interesting. You know, if we were to pray, if, if we were to pray for each other, to pray for our church, our prayer, maybe my prayer might sound like, man, I pray that things go well for you. I pray that your life is great. I pray that your investments continue to do well. I pray that at work, maybe you get a promotion. I pray that your houses get bigger. I pray that you're healthy, right? At least, I mean, Paul doesn't even pray for their health here. He doesn't even say, man, I hope you guys are doing well and healthy. He says, I pray that you may be able to discern what is best. I think about that when we think about our perspective here. What is best? We're, we're in a partnership, right? What is best for the partnership? That's a different question than what is best for Will. If all I'm concerned about is what is best for Will, any partnership that I'm a part of will probably suffer. But when I say what is best for this partnership, what is best for the gospel, what is best for the church, what is best for Jesus, it's a, it's a different way of looking at things, Right? It's a different way of looking at things. It's not how our world looks at things. If we keep reading, and I'm going I'm to cut out a little bit of this, but Paul talks in this, this long section starting in verse 18 and 19 about what's better, what's better for me, would it be better? He says it's better for you, talking to the, the church, he says it's better for you if I stay here because it means fruitful labor. It means that I'll preach, it means that I'll teach, it means people will be converted. He says, hey, it's better for me to go be with Jesus. He's saying it's better for me to die is what he's saying, which is amazing. What a perspective. It made me really think about my perspective on death, right? We, we can, and, and it's, it's okay because we, we live on this world where we, where we have the sense, like, right, what, what we know, to, what we use to guide us is what we see, what we hear, what we feel, right? Like, those are the things that guide us, right? And so we, we, can, we can be lulled into thinking of death, as being six feet underground. We can be lulled into thinking of death as the end, as it's over, as it stops. And Paul's going, no, no. Death is my chance to go be with Christ. Death, for me, is, is just another chapter. It's just the next place I'm going. He doesn't look, oh, it's the end. I'm scared of it. Now, we don't all have to be there right now. We don't all have to get there like that. I'm not there. But just think about how Paul viewed it. Think about his perspective. Think about what it meant to him. So Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. I'm going to try to wrap this up. Mark, not quite yet, but I'll let you know when it's time. We're getting, we're getting close, so be ready. Be ready. Um, he, he wants this church to understand some important things because if you read through this letter, he kind of hits these things home over and over and over again. Number one is this. He loves them and cares for them deeply. Paul loves and cares deeply for his brothers and sisters at Philippi. But the second thing is this. It goes back to that partnership word we talked about. They have a job to do. They have a job to do. We have a job to do. He talks about doing it without being frightened. He talks about humbling yourself. He, you just go through. He talks about finishing strong. We saw, by the way, the, the camp reveal we had earlier. Those were our seniors that, that were down here. And next Sunday, those same four seniors that were down here uh, finishing their race. They will be up here on stage helping lead worship next week. So 
Get here if you can for that. That's going to be, they're going to help with communion. They're going to help with uh, the offering, maybe with the lesson, I think. Uh, so it, it should be a really great, really great day next week. So be here to support them if you can. But, but Paul talks about finishing strong. And I think about the way he wants these lessons to be ingrained in, in the church there. And I think about the way we say things over and over and over, right? Isn't it funny how we do that? I do that. I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to, uh, to get to help coach my son's baseball team. And man, it felt a lot better at the ballpark yesterday than it feels in here right now. I'll tell you, that breeze was blowing. If y'all could get that fan going up here a little bit. But, um, but what do we say when that, when that batter is in the batter's box, right? And they're trying so hard to hit that ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, we all know that phrase, right? But we say it. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm out there and I'm after every pitch. Hey, hey. Watch that ball till it hits your bat. Hey, keep your eye on the ball. I mean, we just say it over and over and over. You know what I do with my kids? I try to do it every night. I don't always do it, but I try to do it every night. And I get to, I'm, I'm seeing them sitting over here this morning, embarrass them just a little bit. But I go in their rooms and there's two things, there's two messages I want to make sure are ingrained so deeply in them that it is part of their DNA. And I'll say, hey, I'm proud of you. I am proud of you. And sometimes there's a specific reason. And if there's not, I say, do you know why I'm proud? And they go, yeah, just because I'm me. And I say, that's right. Just because you're special. God made you special. I am proud of you because you are you. You don't even have to do anything to earn it. And the other thing we go over, I say, I love you. I love you. And then I love, I do this more with my daughter. We go back and forth about how much I love her. And so I say, you know how much I love you? And she says, yeah. I say, you're right. I love you as much as I love pepperoni pizza. And she'll laugh, go, you love me more than that, Dad. And I say, you're right, you're right. Well, how much? And she kind of hesitates. I say, all right, I love you as much as I love my truck. And she'll, she'll quickly go, you love me more than any truck. And I say, good, that message is getting in there. I say, that's right. And so we go back, we banter back and forth, and we land on this idea that, that love can't be measured. My love for them cannot be measured, right? I mean, it will. And, and so the word we use is forever. I love you forever. Because even when I go to be with Christ, I'll still love you. That's, what, that's, that, that's the message that I want ingrained. And that's the message that Paul wants ingrained in the church at Philippi. And that's a message I think he would want us to embrace here. That we are loved, that we are cared for, but we are also partners in the gospel and we have a job to do. I love, this is one of my favorite verses. I'm going to share this with you. And I'll tell you what, Mark, if you want to bring your team on up, I'm going to share this last verse with you real quickly, and, um, and we're going to stand and worship in just a minute. But Philippians 1, verse 27 says this. I won't even read the whole verse, just the beginning. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, I like to change that up just a little bit to say no matter what, no matter what, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We talked last week about Easter, right? I love, I, I love Easter here at Fourth Avenue. Oh, man, it is so awesome to see all the smiling faces, to see friends and family and visitors and former... I mean, everybody's here. <laughs> Thousands of people, it feels like. I love it. And we talked about how the fact that Jesus is risen changes everything. Brant made that point. He says the fact that Jesus came out of that tomb changes everything, but here's what I want you to know before we sing. If Jesus coming out of the tomb, if the fact that Jesus is risen, if the fact that we're going to be with him one day only changes what we believe, then we've stopped just short 
of being partners. If the fact that Jesus has risen only changes how we feel, man, I'm so excited he's risen, then we've stopped just barely short. We've got God's grace for that, but we've stopped just barely short of getting there. The fact that Jesus is risen has to change not only what we believe and not only what we feel, but it has to change how we live, church. It has to change how we live. It has to change our actions. And when our actions change and when our lives change, then we are truly partners in the gospel. Would you bow with me real quickly? Oh, Lord, I pray that what we know, I pray that what we believe, I pray that what we read in your word would not only change how we feel, would not only change what we think or believe, would not only change our hearts, God. I pray it would start there, but I would pray that it would be so ingrained in us that it would change our actions, that it would change our lives, that it would change this community, and that it would bring people to you. Amen.